Well, if you can grab your Bibles and open them up to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation 17, it's been such a great study, and once again, we get into the Bible, we get to, isn't this great, we get to study the Bible, you guys, study God's Word to learn, and I hope as we study that you're allowing the Spirit to change your hearts, and so really keep that in mind too, that we come to the Lord and we want God to speak to us through the Word, but not just to learn, not just to understand, but so that we can apply it into our lives and and love Jesus more, learn about who God is more, uh, live for Him more, and understand what He's done in saving us. So all, all of this is what we find when we come and uh, study God's Word. And so we're going to once again come back to Revelation 17 today. Well, let's ask God to bless His Word. Let's pray. Jesus, thank You for this morning. And God, we thank You for bringing us each each one of us here, God, to be able to worship you, to study your word, to seek you, and, and to honor you today in communion. God, I thank you for everyone who's connected online. And God, we just want to make the effort, take the time to be with you, Lord. And we want to hear from you. We want to be like Mary, Lord, sitting at your feet, God, listening to you, gazing up at you, and just in anticipation of of being with you and what you have to say. So, Lord, I pray you speak to our hearts and heal us. God, I pray that you touch this word, God, as we get into your passage. And I pray, Lord, that you would use this time to change us, transform us, to encourage us, and to help us, Lord, to live for you better. And so, God, give us a mind to understand your word, Lord. Give us, Lord, a, a heart, God, to receive your word, Lord. And I pray for your spirit to anoint your word right now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I've seen articles throughout these uh, recent years and these past years of the talk about the end of Christianity. It's kind of interesting. Uh, like uh, this headline, it said, Christianity in Britain is a generation away from extinction. Interesting, right? Because of the rise of Islam and uh, Muslims, really uh, that religion is the fastest growing religion in England right now. So this article is that uh, Christianity is a generation away from no more. Or there's another headline I saw that says Christianity in France is fading. And actually that's been going on for a long time. Or I, I came across this, this uh, uh, Catholic article. It was on a Catholic news site. It said, Christianity is rapidly dying in Europe. So, so we see in Europe, in that part of the world, Christianity is just declining. Well, what about America? How about America? It, there seems to be a decline happening. And it's really reflected like in a recent 2020 Gallup poll, it showed that for the first time in decades, Americans are going to church, Americans going to church, I should say, dropped below 50%. It was actually down to 47%. Now, to help you get a perspective, in 1937 and since 1937, the number was always above 70%. Kind of interesting. A very recent article uh, this year, the the uh, or or poll I should say, the article is had the headline was declining Christianity leads to dramatic U.S. 
religious realignment. And that, that was an interesting uh, way to put it. According to the Barna research, uh, they, they put out this in their questionnaire and they came up with this in their survey. Belief in God as all-knowing, all-powerful creator ruling the universe is down. From 86% in 1991 to 46% in 2021. So it's really dropped. Uh, uh, also uh, posted was belief that the Bible is the accurate, reliable word of God. Well, it's down from in 1991, that was 70% in America. It's down to 41% in 2021. Uh, belief that when you die, you go to heaven because basically you accepted Jesus' forgiveness, accepted Jesus Christ. Well, in 1991, it was 39%, but now it's 30% in 2021. So there's this trend you can see. So are these indicators that Christianity is coming to an end? Will Christianity join that list of extinct religions? Is that going to happen soon? Well, I see it in a different way. I see that this decline are actually indicators that we're in the end times. That's what I see. Uh, you remember Jesus talked about how in the end times in Matthew 24, 12, because of lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. And also, I know Christianity will not fade away. Salvation in Jesus will not fade away. Actually, you know what? We're going to see here in our passage in Revelation that the opposite is going to happen. That all the other religions will actually end when the Antichrist requires the world to worship him. And that's what we're going to be looking at in Revelation chapter 17. We're going to be looking at the process, how that comes to pass. And, and this is how, and this is our title, the end of world religions actually happen. We're, we're going to do part one. I was trying to do the finish the whole chapter, but I don't know, this week I was like, ah, forget it. We're going to do this in two parts. There's so much to talk about. And I, I told Pastor Steve, oh, hopefully I'm not going to go long because we have communion and everything. So I'll try not to take too much time. But there's so much to learn, to understand that Christianity is not going to end. Actually, the world religions, they're going to end. So the title, The End of World Religions. And we're going to do part one. Now, in part one, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 17 from verse 7 through 14. We left off in verse 6 last time. So we're going to pick it up from verse 7 and go down to verse 14. And so the end of world religions, it all begins with this. And this is our outline. Number one, the resurrection of old Babylon. And number two, the globalization of interreligions. And number three, the unification of armed forces. So that's really the beginning of the end of world religions. Next time we're going to really get to the place where it's, it's Paul is done and, and all. But this is part one. So the end of world religions, let's begin with number one in our outline, the resurrection of old Babylon, the resurrection of old Babylon. Now, in this section, we're going to be covering Revelation chapter 17, verse 7 and 8. Verse 7 and 8. But first of all, take a look at verse 7. Verse 7. It begins here, verse 7. Revelation 17, it says, But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and 
ten horns that carries her. So we'll stop right there. Now we begin with the angel responding actually to John and say, why do you marvel? Why are you astonished? Why are you shocked here? And and now back up just a, a little bit to verse 6 at the end. John says, when I saw her, I marveled greatly. So that's the response of the angel from John going, whoa, I, I, this is amazing. Whoa, th- th- I, I can't believe this. And, and so John's really astonished about the power and the unity of the one world religion that he has been given a glimpse of here in the end times. Now, remember, we're in this pause, right? We're in this pause between the seven bold judgments that we study in Revelation 16 and Jesus' return in Revelation 19. So we're in this pause here, and in these pauses, as we saw in chapter like 12 and 13, God is showing us something. God is helping us to understand some of the behind the scenes and more details of what's been going on. So here in this pause, God sends this angel to first, remember we saw, give us this sort of overview of past ages and then what's going on in the tribulation years. And he gives us this idea of, and our title of the message last week was the seduction of world religions. We saw how through the ages this prostitute, right back in verse 1, the great prostitute was drawing people away from a true relationship with the true God, was drawing people away to idols and other things that weren't really true. And so we saw then in the tribulation, that was happening through the ages, then we saw in the tribulation that it all comes together in this unified one world religion supported, promoted by the Antichrist as in verse 3 we saw she's sitting on the beast, on the scarlet beast. And we learned all of that last week. If you miss it, you can catch it on our podcast or watch it again on our YouTube or Facebook. So here's John. He couldn't believe how powerful, how prominent world religion became. And so the angel angel goes, hey, let me explain this to you. We'll we'll get into more detail on on really how this all comes to pass and, and even how it ends, how religion ends. So he starts out, he says, okay, let me, let me tell you. You know why you're so amazed? Well, let me, let me tell you here. And he says in, in verse 7, let me tell you about the mystery of the woman and of the beast. Now, these two characters were, were shown us, right, in the beginning part of chapter 17, and we saw the woman sitting on the beast. So the angel goes, well, let me tell you about the mystery of the woman. Remember the word mystery in the New Testament means that it's something that wasn't so clear during the Old Testament times, but is now made clear. It's made known by God in the New Testament. So let me let, me let you in on you know, what's going on here. And then he says, the mystery of the woman. Now, this is the same prostitute we saw from the beginning of verse 1 through verse 6 in this first section. But notice, here, the angel doesn't call her this prostitute. Yeah, the old King James word harlot. He, 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 names him, uh, he names her as a woman, the woman. You know why? Because now, in this time of the tribulation, she's respected. She's accepted by the whole world. Remember back in verse 4, she's dressed like a queen, right? Like royalty. She, she sits in a high position on the world stage, we learned that. So the angel says, okay, get this. The, the woman now, 
Well, this woman, she's a woman now. She represents this one world religion accepted by the whole world. Well, well, how did that happen? Well, the angel says, well, well, let me let me tell you a little more. Let me tell you about the beast. Yeah. And the beast we always saw as the Antichrist who is carrying her. Uh, uh, her position is because of his position, basically, because of him being the leader of the world. So she's up there, too. And so he describes the beast once again as having seven heads and ten horns. And that's what we saw there in verse three. And now he's going to get into the explanation of that. Now, I let you in a little bit uh, uh, about that to try to try help us grasp this passage last week. And we're going to get even more deeper into that as this passage opens up. So basically, the angel's like, OK, let me tell you how this happened. So, you know, about. The woman, the one world religion, respected now, it's all the world, and the one world ruler, that beast. So the first thing I want you to see is the angel is revealing the connection between religious Babylon and political Babylon. Right away, right here in verse 7, that, that's what he's talking about. Hey, we're going to talk about the woman, and we're going to talk about the beast. There's a connection between the two, religious Babylon and political Babylon. Now, I use those uh, specific terms because remember back up in verse 5, if you look at that, uh, written on the forehead of this prostitute, this woman, was the mystery, Babylon the Great. And I mentioned to you last time that, well, this is, this is the religious Babylon, right? We're going to see different aspects of Babylon. So, this woman is integrated into the whole world system of the Antichrist. And I want you to grasp something here. I, I kind of been letting you in on this understanding as we've been studying Revelation. But right now I want to focus in how this is the key to understand these two chapters and, and even other parts of, of Revelation when, when Babylon is mentioned or Babylon the Great is mentioned. So let me make this clear about Babylon or Babylon the Great. And it relates really to five things about the Antichrist, about the world system, about what's going to go on during the tribulation. And the first thing, when we talk about Babylon or Babylon the Great, we're, we're talking about the location of Babylon. It could be referred to a location. Uh, it, it's the capital, right, of this one world empire. It's the headquarters, and, and I believe it's actually a physical location. Now, we don't know exactly for sure. I mentioned that. Uh, some people think it's Rome or somewhere in, else in Europe, and some people think it's actually in uh, it's Babylon in the country of Iraq. But when we talk about Babylon, Revelation, it could refer, number one, to the location of Babylon. The second thing, when we use the word Babylon, it could mean the political Babylon. In other words, the power of the Antichrist, the political power as he's president of the world, as he's ruler of a one world empire. So it could mean that also. There's a third uh, way of meaning uh, that Babylon could represent the religious Babylon. That's what we're talking about with this prostitute, with the woman. It's talking about the religious reach of uh, the Antichrist's administration as we've been saying, one world religion comes past. So we have the location, we have the political Babylon, the religious Babylon, but also number four, Babylon could mean the economic Babylon. So that whole economic system of the Antichrist where there's one 
world economy going on. We certainly see a push for that right now. And we're going to get into that in Revelation chapter 18. More of that is in Revelation chapter 18. But let me give you one more Babylon. Uh, Number five is Babylon could speak of the whole world system. And that's what I've been uh, mentioning to you guys. The whole world system, the location, the political, uh, the religious, the economic side of it. It's really what I'm saying is talking about the whole world empire. Yeah, not just location, but everything. It's political reach. It's religious reach. It's it, it's economic reach. Just this whole world empire. So if you can grasp that it's not just one thing, but it could mean one of these five things, it will help you understand this passage and the next chapter in other places where we read Babylon or Babylon the Great. So with that understanding, that um, we can really have knowledge about what's going on. This passage we're going to look at is, is very difficult to understand, but I've been praying, looking at it all a lot and reading, hopefully I can make sense of it. Think of it this way when we talk about Babylon being the empire and everything. Um, think of it this way when we say, hey, that's just Madison Avenue. What are we saying, right? It's actually uh, in a, uh, you know, a street in Manhattan, New York. But when we talk like that, we talk about what it represents, right? Advertising, or advertising that American dream or the lust, you know, of one getting things to live your life out, right? So Madison Avenue, or how about this? How about when we say, oh, that Hollywood is influencing our kids, right? What are we talking about? It's, we're talking about not just the location in Los Angeles, but it, Hollywood represents how the movie and TV and industry portrays this worldly and social uh, values and moral values and pushes a culture and, and a certain kind of thinking and perspective right, of life. So we talk about, oh, Hollywood is influenced, right? So it's a location, but it's also some other things that it represents. Or how about recently... Protests, you know, we're using the word Wall Street. Yeah, Occupy Wall Street. Remember, remember that? It's a location where the stock exchange is at in New York. But it came to represent the rich and the privileged who abuse their position and power in society. So I hope that helps you understand when we say Babylon, it's not just this location, but it represents the political, economical, religious, and even this empire of this last world uh, uh, rule of the Antichrist. So with that in mind, look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. So it says here, The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. So this is like, whoa, this is like, wow, the angel's talking in code here or something, right? So it's hard to understand, but let's see if we can, we can get into this. So this beast was described as was, is not about to rise. Well, um, well, think of it this way. The beast here is really talking about the world empire of Babylon. And if you think of it that way, then, then it makes sense. You remember how Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon, he was the head, right, in Daniel chapter 2 of that statue? Well, think of it that way. Look back to Daniel 2. It's like, oh, okay, this beast, you know, this 
huge statue creature kind of with different metals. You know, the head was Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar's head. And so it was. Babylon was once a world empire and is not. Yeah, it, it lasted maybe, um, some say about the, the, the main Babylon, maybe 80 years. But it's about to rise, right? It's about to come back now and be a powerful empire once again. So the angel saying the Babylonian empire will be resurrected into all its glory again. It it, it was, it's not, you know, but it's going to come back. It is to come and rise up. Now, the future last world empire is going to be different. The angel tells us it will rise from the bottomless pit here in verse 8. What does that mean? Bottomless pit is hell, right? We saw that back in, I think, in Revelation, I forget, 12 or 13 there. And, and so, in other words, this Babylon, it rises and comes into power by Satan's plan and his doing here. Remember that even the Antichrist, that was at Revelation 11 and verse 7, we were told, uh, came, rises from the bottomless pit, which meant it came by the power of Satan. The Antichrist rose into power by the power of Satan. So the end of this last world empire will go to from Satan, but it will also go to destruction, we read here. In other words, the kingdom is going to end. This last world empire will end by divine destruction. Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon ended with the Medo-Persians coming in, defeating them, but no other nation is going to defeat this last world empire. God's going to do the job when Jesus Christ returns. So that's what he's saying all here. So we see the return and rise and end of the last Babylon, we could call him, and it's going to all be different from the Babylon of the past. So the people now, verse 8, who see this Babylon rise up again, this Babylon from before, um, whose names the angel describes that are not in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Basically, that means who are not saved. All right. Uh, I'm not going to take the time to get into all of that about election, free will. If you have questions, we can talk about it. We've done studies in the past. I could spend the rest of this time right now talking about it, but I want you to keep the flow of this passage. So basically, it's the unsaved people, right? The unsaved, they're going to marvel. They're going to be totally amazed that this Babylon has risen up. The Babylon of the past is going to be a world empire again. And with their marveling, it really has this feeling of they're willing to submit under this beast, this Babylonian empire. So I know we've talked about the beast as the Antichrist, but think about the beast here as the Babylonian empire, that that resurrected old Babylonian empire, who was was super powerful and was not, ceased to be, but now is to come. It will come back to life. It will be resurrected here. So I hope that makes sense here and all this was and is not and it's a common stuff like that. Now take note here, some commentators believe this speaks of when the Antichrist is mortally wounded and remember we talked about in Revelation 13, he fakes his death, fakes his resurrection and he wows the world and the world follows him. Well, well, I believe all this is connected but we're going to talk about that more uh, next week in the, in the last part of Revelation 17 but, but this, the, I think that for now, 
the, the way to see this and to understand is, this is the second thing, the resurrection of old Babylon will move the world to be governed under a one world empire. And, and that's what I want you to understand here. Babylon's resurrected, the old one, and everyone's going to go, whoa, this is awesome, this is great. They're going to marvel, and they're going to be willingly submitted to this last world empire. You know what's interesting today? Um, ancient Babylon is totally in ruins. And we know that, right? It, it lies 50 miles south of Baghdad, you know, in Iraq. Um, you guys know Saddam Hussein, if you remember, tried to rebuild it, uh, including uh, what they call one of the seven wonders of the world, the hanging, the famous hanging gardens that, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had built. And he tried to bring it all to life again, Babylon, because he wanted to be the king of the world. And he, was, he wanted to bring it all together. He was obsessed in bringing it, Babylon back to its former glory. But, you know, as we know history, he lost the war in Iraq, and that was it. Well, interesting, there's interest in bringing Babylon back to life. In 2009, the U.S. pledged $700,000 to, uh, quote-unquote, the future of Babylon project. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And today, Iraqi officials are determined to rebuild Babylon. I think they finished one gate. Some I saw a picture of this blue gate. But they're, they're totally determined to, to make Babylon this world heritage site. They even went to the U.N. saying, hey, we make this official world uh, heritage as this place. And they want to encourage tourists to come and see this Babylon. And so they're promoting right now today, quote, unquote, rebuilding Babylon. So isn't that interesting? Just this year, just a month, few months or so ago, the Pope visited Iraq. His purpose was to encourage um, Christians because there was an article that Christianity is, is dying. It's not, and there's no more Christians in Iraq. And he went there to encourage Christianity. And, 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 but the, the, the government, they liked him coming and they wanted him to also encourage tourism and help maybe even bring international funding in raising up Babylon. So kind of interesting. And it could be maybe the, the original location of Babylon, the Antichrist is just going to plant himself there and that's going to be the capital of the world. Some say Babylon actually, is, if you look at it on the map, it's actually right there in the center of the world. I, I, I guess it depends on what, <laughs> how you look at things. Or, or, but, but it's interesting, maybe that side of the world. I think if, you know, that is the, 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 the spot and Babylon is uh, resurrected again, I, I think that when that happens, the world will be wowed by this, by its glory, its grandeur, its power. And so they're going to, along with other things, be just oh, excited about, oh, yeah, one world, we're globalism, we're finally together. And they're going to be fooled into following Satan's plan and embracing the Antichrist and his empire. You know, I was thinking about how they marveled. You know, be careful. Yeah. Because Satan likes to wow us. Yeah. He likes to, he likes to dangle that carrot on a stick and lead you into his plan and not God's purpose 
for your life. Be careful. Don't don't fall for always seeking of oh what's amazing, you know. What well, rather than well what's in the word? What is really true? Don't chase after the next experience, right? I'll tell you a lot of Christians are being drawn away by the experience, you know, pulled into false doctrines, pulled into moving away from God by, oh, that felt so good. Oh, oh, the feeling, the emotion, everything, yeah? The experience. And if that is your main thing, Satan will easily fool you and lead you away from God. we got to stick to the truth that's in God's Word. And no matter the experience, how it feels, or the emotion, it has to be filtered according to, is, is it God? Is it really the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit not going to go against God's truth what is stated here. And I think that's why God gave us our Bibles, right? Words, right? Black and white, you know, our pages uh, to be objective outside of us. You know, we can be fooled inside us. Oh, yeah, we think this or that. But when you look at words and sentences and verses printed on a piece of paper, right? You can't change what that says. Yeah. And so that's why we study to understand the word so we know what is true and what is not so be careful because the, 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 this is Satan's plan to woo the world to make, marvel them so that they will come into this uh, uh, submit to this one world rule and so this is the resurrection of old Babylon that's what it's going to be all right so this is how it begins with the resurrect how the end the world religions end the end of world religions it starts with the resurrection of the old babylon and then number two in our outline is this the globalization of interreligions the globalization of interreligions or interfaith that that's a word being used today oh interfaith interreligions yeah ecumenical yeah i was going to put that there but i thought i think i understand more interreligions you know like 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 people, religions getting together. All right, verse 9 and 10, uh, we're going to look here. We're going to cover to verse 11, but verse 9 and 10, first of all. Verse 9 says, This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is and the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. And we'll stop right there. Now, the, the angel says, okay, now all of this, and I'm beginning to tell you, you got to approach this with a mind with wisdom. And really that means with a, a mind with godly insight. Yeah, we can't use worldly wisdom. We want wisdom from God. We want the Spirit to guide us in this. And, and just to understand these events of the end time. So hopefully what I'm giving you today is wisdom. And again, you can study this for yourself. Be a good Brian, Acts 17, right? They studied what Paul was saying. They checked the scriptures to see if it was true. I mean, do the same. There's a lot of views, you know, in this very difficult passage, but I, I'm giving you what I feel like, so hopefully this is wisdom. But let's have a mind of wisdom with this in trying to understand this. Okay, so the angel ex explains now the in verse uh, 9, that the seven heads are seven mountains. So the seven heads were first introduced right back in verse 3 of this scarlet beast. So this beast, uh, um, you know, was sitting there and it had seven 
heads. And so what are the seven heads? And, and well, the, the, the angel says, oh, I'll, I'll tell you, it's seven mountains. Oh, yeah, that really helps, Mr. Angel, you know, kind of thing. Well, understand that with the, add the woman on there, right? And a woman sitting there positionally. And what we saw last time is world religions are fully you know, supported and I would say integrated with the political Babylon. Seven heads talk about rulers we talked about. We talked about last time that there's seven kings, that's just, this is how I see it, of past world empires, right? Six of them plus including the empire of the Antichrist. I named them Egypt, Assyria, um, um, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, number six, and then the seventh would be the Antichrist. But if that's it, then what is the angel saying here? Well, the seven heads are seven mountains. Yeah, Seven heads, we could think of the, the maybe the rulers of them, the heads, right? Uh, but what, how come he says mountains here? What, what's going on here? Well, let me tell you, some commentators and some pastors they they feel that this speaks of the location of the headquarters of the antichrist that babylon so to quote unquote is actually on uh, located at where the seven famous hills of rome are rome was known for seven hills and they go a step farther saying because this woman sitting there they they say well the woman is a catholic church and the false prophet is the Pope, which will, who will instigate the one world religion. Now, I don't know, maybe the, 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 some people say, oh, the Pope is a false prophet. Sorry, Mr. Pope, if you watch this. But um, some people say this, but um, I, I, it might be. I mean, he's promoting this ecumenism right now. He's going around the world and promoting, uh, let's get together for the sake of humanity. Let's come together. You know, all this stuff. And I've talked about this in the past few weeks. So maybe it's that. But let me tell you, others disagree. And, and this is the way I lean. And lean meaning this is what I come to understand. And I feel like this is more like it. But uh, I don't know everything. Um, I'm not saying it's 100%. So I'm leaning this way. <laughs> this is what I feel like I, I believe. And, and I feel like, well, Rome actually has more than seven hills. And others were added later. So I don't know if it's that. And the headquarters of the Catholic Church is actually in the Vatican City, not on the hills of Rome. Well, so I don't know if I really, you know, um, really take that interpretation. But I kind of look at what the angel says next, right? He says in verse 9, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Then look at verse 10. They are also seven kings. So for me, I go back to the seven heads are seven rulers. Yeah. So, so what are the seven mountains? Well, well, he says these mountains also re represent these, these, these kings. So to me, it makes more sense that the seven mountains actually re represent seven empires and their rulers. So what I told you last week, it, it kind of all comes together. The seven heads, right? Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, 
um, uh, Medo-Persia, uh, Greece, Rome, and then the Antichrist and his am- empire. That makes more sense to me. And this beast follows after the previous empires, really, in, in what they're doing. And that was what I was getting to last week. And this is what the angels, I believe, is trying to explain here. So don't get lost with the seven heads, seven mountains, and seven kings. Just think of it, these are empires, all right? But remember, the woman is sitting there. So in context now, what the angel is saying, we're not like focusing on the empires here. What we're seeing is that the angel is telling us this seventh mountain, which is the Antichrist empire. So the seventh mountain or empire promotes false religion just like the other empires of the past. So I put it on the screen to help you understand that's what he's saying. That's what with wisdom we should try and understand. I mean, we could get all lost in seven and this and that, the mountains and all this, but I believe it's just basically saying, hey, the seventh guy, you know, it's this empire, it's the last empire, and with the women there, just like the other empires in the past, it's promoting false religion. You know, I was thinking about this, talking about mountain and empires. Um, we know from the book of Daniel, this empire will not last, the, the, the Antichrist empire. For the kingdom of God is this mountain, and it, it's going to come and end it. In Daniel chapter 2, that image, right? The, the, the gold and silver and all, and all the way down to the the ten toes, of a mix of iron and clay, what happened? A, a rock came out, right? And bashed that, that the feet and the whole statue exploded. Well, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 35, uh, the prophecy says, but the stone, which is Christ, that struck the image became what? A great mountain and filled the whole earth. And what is that mountain? The kingdom of God. Yeah, the empire of Jesus Christ. All right, so the angel goes on in verse 10. Then he says this. He says, one is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain a little while. Oh, let me back up. Five of whom have fallen, one is, and the other have not come. Uh, but when he does, he must remain for only a little while. All right, this is even more confusing, Mr. Angel. But... Let's think about empires now, okay, empires. So now five of these uh, seven kings that he just mentioned have fallen. They're no longer in power. So their empires are gone. So if we are interpreting the seven heads or the seven empires, the seven kings, is Egypt, right, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece, they're gone, they're fallen, they're no more. But... He says here in verse 10 that one is, and which is which came after that world empire? Rome, right? And at the time of John writing this, who was in power? Rome. So to me, it's like, oh, okay, empires. It continues to click for me here. And then he says, uh, the other has not yet come. What's this other world empire? Well, since the time of Romans, there's never been this huge kind of world kind of empire. People have tried, right? Hitler tried to take over the world, but it didn't work, yeah? Because that wasn't God's plan or God's sovereign allowance of that, right? What is it? It's the old Babylon, yeah? The resurrection of the Babylonian empire. So it all fits in what he was saying above this. 
So the other that has not yet to come is that last world empire, Babylon. And when it comes, the angel says, when it comes, when he comes, uh, it, uh, it's only going to basically remain only a little while. So the ruler, the Antichrist, and this Babylonian uh, resurrected empire, it's, it's, it's only going to uh, uh, run for a little while. We know that it will be during the tribulation years, seven years. So compared to the other empires, it's going to be only a little while. Egypt... Uh, that empire went about 3,000 years. Assyrians went about 600 years. Babylonian, I think it was around 80 years. Medo-Persian went 200 years. Greece with Alexander and all, maybe 13 years or maybe a little more or so after. The Roman Empire, they, they clock at about 507 years. So compared to everybody, this is the least. And so only for a little while, it's very short. And then in verse 11, I'll take a look. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. Okay, that's it. We're done. Let's go home. You know, right? I mean, right? Reading this, I don't know if you read this before you came here. Some of you read before you get into our studies. It's kind of like, uh, I'm just not going to even try to think. I'll wait till I go to church. And I'll tell you, it's, it's very, very difficult, right, in trying to understand this. But let's take a look at verse 11. And as for the beast that was and is not, who, who's this, this beast now? The, the empire, right? The Babylonian empire, okay? The Antichrist, last world empire. Now, the angel says, it is an eighth one. Wait a minute, I thought you said the seventh was the Antichrist in that world empire. I did. But now the angel saying, it's the eighth, but it belongs to the seventh. It's part of the seventh, but in the end it's going to go to destruction. So it's kind of, wait, wait, wait. Okay, let me see if I can make sense of this. What it is, is the seventh empire is the empire of the Antichrist. But it's going to be in two phases. There's going to be a second major phase phase and that's the eighth so in its short existence this last world empire half of it is the seven and the other half is the eighth kingdom the eighth empire all right and so that's what the the um Angels talking about. You remember we've talked about this and back in Daniel 2 once again. The toes, the ten toes represent the ten nation confederacy of the old Roman Empire, right? Iron mixed with clay, part of the legs that were iron in that statue. So remember the Antichrist is going to rise up politically, yeah, uh, as the, the leader of that ten nation confederacy. Well, that ten nation confederacy, I believe, right after. Uh, the failed attack of Russia, Magog, Gog, and all the Muslim countries to destroy Israel. God saves Israel, and then we launch into the seven years tribulation. Well, at that time, this ten-nation confederacy that the Antichrist is the head of is going to rise up in power. And I think there will be a vacuum of power because Russia is defeated, all these countries are defeated. They're going to rise up and take over. And so that's that seventh kingdom. So that empire will politically and the antichrist being that king will be the ruler of the world but then three and a half years into the tribulation will come the 
eighth kingdom. And you remember what marks that? What marks that is the abomination of desolation when the Antichrist stands in the rebuilt Jewish temple, declares himself God, and requires the whole world to worship him. And with that act, he transforms the whole empire into something completely different than what it was before. Think of it this way. He makes this religious move. He's already the political Babylon, right? But he makes this religious move to position himself as the supreme being. That's, and this is this is a, a teaser for next week, that's when world religions end. That's the end of world religion. And we're going to talk about that next week. But all of this is a setup to that point. All of this is a setup to so that he can set himself up. So you understand now, there's a seventh and an eighth, and the seventh belongs to the eighth, because it's really seven and eight are one, but at halfway through, it's going to turn into this really monster of an empire. So this eighth empire, it's, it's all different from the old Babylon. And, and because, remember, it's wrapped with this woman right now. And even though each of these kingdoms had an official religion, the eighth is going to be like out of this world because it's going to be full-on Satan worship, worship of Satan. We saw that back in Revelation 13. But we have comfort here in verse 11 at the end. Uh, It's not going to go on. It goes to destruction. It will end in destruction. So with this last world empire of Babylon, there's going to be two stages, but it begins now with this unifying of a one-world religion that later Satan used. Henry Morris wrote this. I thought this is interesting. He said, Church and state have only rarely in history been clearly and properly separated. Each has always sought to use the other to attain its own ends. And that is true for what's going to happen in the tribulation with the Antichrist. Satan's just just using, the oh, well, let's get together, one world religion. It's all a step for his ends that he would end up being worshipped. So you see, the angel shows us with this woman and what's going on with the Antichrist and the eighth and seventh kingdom is that the globalization of inter-religions will be declared as the religion of the last Babylon. And that's what I want you to get here. All this talk of the, this empire rising up, all this talk of this empire coming alive again, the woman's in the middle of it. The woman is right there. And from what we learned last week and as we flow into this week, we're talking about this one world religion. So this globalization of inter-religions, inter-faith here, it will be declared as the religion of the last Babylon. That, that's what it's going to be. This is our religion. This is the official state religion. That's the idea. And we're heading there. I mentioned to you guys last week that there's so much stuff going on. There's, there's different groups around the world trying to get faiths together. For example, I shared last week, but uh, for example, another one is in Berlin. Just this last May, May 2021, a ceremony was performed in the laying down of a cornerstone, they called it, trying to make it all churchy and religious, uh, to build what they call a groundbreaking temple, I quote. They call it the House of One. And they say it will be a place where Muslims and Jews and Christians are to be united to be able to worship under one roof. 
uh, uh, Henrik Bedford Strom, the chair of the Council of Evangel Evangelical Church in Germany. Now listen, told reporters that this sends a signal, I quote, at a time when anti-Semitism and Islamophobia are increasing. This is a guy who, you know, puts himself as an evangelical. It's crazy. I told you about this, uh, the Abrahamic family worship center in the UAE. I mean, that's, that, that, that's supposed to be built by next year. It's crazy. So all over the world, there's, there, this isn't just the only instances. I, I have to share with you, a few years ago at, a Kenneth Copeland, at the Kenneth Copeland Center, which should tell you because, uh, I'm sorry, Kenneth Copeland teaches false doctrine, but he, he poses as a Christian, an evangelical guy, right? At the Kenneth Copeland Center, a bishop, a Catholic bishop, Tony Palmer, came on behalf of Pope Francis to offer uh, Protestant Christians a hand of unity. He came and spoke. He's saying, you know, Catholic means universal, and that's actually what it means. Um, after the apostles in the early church, the church really was the Catholic church, and they call it Catholic, universal, you know, for everyone. And so he said, look, if you're a Christian, you're a Catholic because we're all universal, and it's time for you to come back home. He actually said that. And then Kenneth Coleman comes up to say, I was watching this video, he says, you know what, we, don't, we shouldn't protest anymore, right? The Protestant church was Martin Luther who went against the, the bad doctrine and wrong doctrine of the Catholic church and stood up for the Bible and the truth in there and what salvation is, right? Well, that's why we're Protestants, yeah? That's where that word came from. We're part of that group. Well, Kenneth Copeland stands up and says, no more protest, no more Protestant church, we, no more split in the church. We need to come together and the spirit of div division. Isn't that crazy? I'm like, whoa, whoa what, what about doctrine? What about salvation in, truly in Jesus Christ? Yeah, By grace we're saved through faith. You know what, what about those differences? Oh no, that splits us. We need to come together again. And so you see the world is heading toward this interreligion, interfaith, uh, globalization of religion all coming together here. That's happening right now. And it's all being set up. It's Satan's plan for the future where there's going to be a one world empire with a one world government and a one world president and a one world religion. That is going to be the religion of the seventh kingdom, the seventh empire. Crazy. You know, I, I was thinking about how a lot of this stuff is happening. We don't know, and, and we have to be careful we don't live in this bubble. Yeah. And what I mean is, I know with, 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 with this pandemic, everything going on, and it's, it's been difficult. It's been hard. We're, we're scratching our heads, and, and, and we're in a time of history where, where people do not trust the government anymore, nor media. I mean, there's days before, that was our only information, but now with the Internet, oh, we get all kinds of information, yeah? And with that comes all kinds of things. And, and then it's like, who do we believe in, you know? And, and so it, it's hard. So it's easy for us to get caught up into all of that, right? Our issues, our life, our conveniences, our lifestyle. 
But be careful. You don't just start focusing on that. Understand there's a lot more that's happening. And Satan's underneath just starting to set the stage for who? The Antichrist to rise up. He's getting it all ready for boom. What's going to come on this world stage is a one world government, one world religion. And with that, with me sharing this, I want you to burst this bubble of, wow, it's, it's me. How about my life? How about this? You know what? Let's think about oh, what's coming. And it's very real. And people need to know Jesus Christ. People need to be prayed for into the kingdom. Souls need to be saved. We need to give out the hope in Jesus Christ. Not the, oh, the government this and this and that and that, right? Sometimes that's all of our speech. And it's easy for me to get caught up in, oh, look at this. Oh, this is crazy what this guy's doing. Oh, right? It's easy. But I, I, I was thinking, I don't want to live in my little bubble. Yeah? I want to understand, wow, this is unreal. These things are happening. And we're just rolling toward this. Time's going on. But what am I doing to give the hope of Jesus? I mentioned before, I think the world looks at, at us Christians and Jesus is, oh, you, you guys, you conservative guys, you, you, you guys hate everybody. You don't want peace. You don't want unity, right? Because of the way we carry ourselves. But we need to give the love of Christ, the hope of Jesus, knowing what's coming. All right, anyway, I don't want to get caught up into that. So... We don't want to have the world get caught up into this inner faith deception because it's a trap, really, because all, all of this is going to end. The world religions is going to end. Uh, so we see the resurrection of the old Babylon, the globalization of interreligion, our last heading, number three, the unification of armed forces. And we'll quickly get into this. Verse 12 and 13, we're going to finish uh, to 14, but first of all, verse 12 and 14. 12 says, verse 12, and the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who are not yet received royal power, but they are, are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. Okay, so the angel gives a little more insight, right? He talked about seven heads that he mentioned we saw way back in verse 3. Now he's talking about the ten horns. Well, here's the ten horns here. And I already mentioned the ten horns of this beast. Uh, they're the ten kings or ten rulers who... Uh, they haven't received power yet, right? At the time of John receiving this, um, this is, hasn't happened. They haven't risen to power. But these are the leaders of the ten-nation confederacy from the old Roman Empire. And in the future, though, they're going to receive their authority. They're going to rise up. But the angel says, it's only going to last one hour in a really, really short time, right? They're going to have power. The Antichrist will rise up as their leader. But, but, but that's, that's about it. Because then the the Antichrist is going to become this world ruler and over them. So these kings, they're going to, that, when that time comes, these kings with one mind in full agreement, they're going to hand over full authority to the Antichrist as the ruler of the world. They're going to give their full authority to this Babylonian empire resurrected. Then in uh, verse 14, they will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Those 
with him are called and chosen and faithful. So we end today in verse 14 where these these um, uh, 10 leaders, and some even say perhaps they're, maybe they're like governors over 10 sections around the whole world. I, I, we don't know. But, but anyway, uh, these 10 leaders, right, um, and the Antichrist, they're going to make war on the Lamb. They're going to become hostile toward Jesus Christ and anything and anyone that has to do with Jesus Christ. So so this talks about the persecution that's going to break out. This talks about what we've talked about, the martyrs that, that were in heaven under the throne back in Revelation chapter 6. So it, 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 there's this whole hostility war made against Jesus and his people. And and remember, we're talking about this woman on the beast. So this is all part of it. The one world religion is going to go all out with the authority and the power of the Antichrist and these ten kings, handing it, that power over to the Antichrist. So whatever he says, whatever rule, we're going to do it. Well, this one world religion is going to go against true believers these are enemies of the state. Believers are enemy, enemies of, of, of the Antichrist, right? That, I bet that's a verbiage out there. They don't like how their globalization efforts of interreligion are, the, the Christians, the believers, aren't going to line up with them. They don't like that. What do we do with them? We're going to kill them. We're going to stop them in that way. So in order to stop Jesus and his followers, the whole empire this of old Babylon joined in forces basically against Jesus, against God. And so you see why in chapter 19, the armies of the whole world are going to turn and think that they could fight Jesus Christ. That's what's going on. So the resurrection of old Babylon will bring a globalization of interreligion to cause the world to religiously and politically come to a unification of armed forces to go against Jesus and his people, to get rid of Jesus, to end, guess what, Christianity in the world. But we're reassured here, right, in verse 14, but you know what, the Lamb will conquer them. <laughs> Why? Well, he's the Lord of lords. He's the King of kings, and we'll see that in chapter 19. But angel's like, no worry, John, no worry here. And you know, those with them are called chosen and faithful because well, we will see that all, all the saints, all of us are going to come down with Jesus. And Jesus is going to do it all, but we're going to have front row seat right there when, he, uh, when Jesus stops all of this. So our last point is the unification of armed forces is for Babylon to try to end Christianity, but Jesus will not let it happen. Why don't you turn to uh, Romans uh, chapter 8. Uh, chapter 8, and, and, and here... In this verse, chapter 8, verse 31, it says here, uh, What then shall we say? Romans 8, 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? You know, I, I'm weary in battle. I am. I, I'm, I'm, I, 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 I'm, but I'm going to keep going. Yeah. Even though I'm buffeted, I'm attacked by the enemy, even though he, he'll come and discourage me, he'll come and bear down upon me with different thoughts and things. And, 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 but you know what? He cannot have victory over me. He cannot. Because you know what? You and I and Jesus Christ, we're on the winning side. right? We're on the winning side. We're on God's side. I'll close with this. Someone uh, made a comment to President Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War. They told him, 
I hope the Lord is on our side, yeah, the side of the North. You know what Lincoln said? He replied and said, that is not my main concern, but only that we should be on the side of the Lord. I love that. There's no matter, the Lord's on. That's the winning side. So though Babylon will try, Christianity will not end, but just the opposite, and it's all setting up to what we'll see next time, the end of world religions. Let's pray. Lord, thank you once again, Lord, for your word, and thank you once again that, Lord, we have this hope that you, God, will conquer in the end, that if you're for us, who can be against us, Lord, and we're on the winning side. And so, God, as we come to you, we humble ourselves, Lord, knowing that it's not about my strength or it's not about me. It's not about what I've done, but it's about you and your power and what you've done. Jesus said, when you died on a cross and rose again, God, you were victorious and you defeated Satan and you defeated, Lord, uh, the, the enemy of our soul. And so, God, we don't need fear, Lord. We, we don't need have any despair, but, God, we have hope in you. You are the anchor of our soul. And as we move right now into this time of communion, remembering what you've done on the cross, we remember, God, that you died for my sin, for all of our sins, that we can be forgiven. That you died for my past, my present, even my future sins. It's all covered, Lord. doesn't give me an excuse to sin, but, God, it gives me hope that even when I fail you, your blood covers me. And we remember that, and we honor you for your sacrifice. And we remember, God, that you love us. And so, as we come to this time, Thank you, God, for your love. Thank you that Christianity will not end, but it's going to go on. And it's because you, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, came, did this amazing thing to die on the, to come as a man and die on the cross for our sins. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen.